the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right. We are in the house thanking you so very much for joining us. It's always a privilege to be here and be able to share insights and thoughts and experiences that we have with the scriptures, with this book of books. And Jacob is here with me. We are, uh, we are, we are bibliophiles. We are, we are, uh, committed to the, this text, this book that God has given us that where he reveals himself, he reveals truths about us, about, uh, human beings. What is his purpose for our lives, and he reveals his, his plan to draw us, to call out of the human race a people for himself. I will be their God, they will be my people. So that's, uh, we're making our way through the Bible every year, every uh, verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible. We read Monday through Friday. If you join us at uh, um, uh, 9... 30 every uh, weeknight, Monday through Friday, we you will hear a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weeknight. And then through the year, we, we go through, we read the entire Bible. So if you've been thinking, oh, I'd really like to read the Bible, I'd like to be able to say I read the entire Bible, well, join with us on Monday through Friday and uh, at 930 in the evening as you're settling down for a night's rest and let the last word you hear be God's word. That's uh, That's our theme for that program. And so you can uh, 
join with us as we make our way through. What we do is we begin with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then we go to the book of Matthew, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then we go to the book of Mark. So we, we alternate back and forth between the Old and New Testaments in a reading plan that has really turned out to be awesome for so many years now. Sixteen years we've been reading through the Bible every year for our great city and for South Texas. So I hope you'll join us Monday through Friday for the Bible Live. And here on Sunday evening, we get a chance to talk about those passages. We'll be uh, This past week, we read uh, the entire book of Romans. Uh, the New Testament, chapters 1 through 16, and we started the small book in, in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Ezra. Following, We just finished the books of First and Second Chronicles, and we'll go back now and read Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, uh, those three books. Post-exilic books, uh, books that were written uh, after the exile when the people of Israel have, are now returning, somewhere around 45 to 50,000 return in, uh, I think, about three or four different um, caravans, three or four different groups that came over. And Ezra is this uh, Hebrew scholar, biblical scholar, very committed to the scriptures, and he is one who uh, wrote and uh, supervised the work, the uh, Chronicles, this select history in which he reminds the people who return now from uh, 70 years of exile, most of whom, or all of whom, I suppose, have been born out of the country. Out of their, uh, out of Israel, and so he's reminding them of who they are and whose they are. Uh, so that's where we uh, are, are, are as we read the book of Chronicles. And now Ezra and Nehemiah is another one of his uh, uh, compatriots and a, and a contemporary. They came back together and helped supervise and lead the people <clears throat> that had returned from exile in Babylon. And then, of course, Esther is uh, one of these, uh, this little picture, this little example, this experience in which God saves his people. And over and over again, I think last week we mentioned this, Jacob, on the uh, program, that over and over again from from the time when God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, even from the very beginning in the garden, we see the enemy of our souls. We see uh, Satan himself and the spiritual powers all united in trying to uh, destroy, trying to interrupt the redemptive plan of God, which had to do in some ways with with interrupting and destroying the people of Israel because God in his grace had chosen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He had chosen this people group, this family lineage to to preserve a witness of his of, of himself in the midst of a very uh, idolatrous and polytheistic uh, many false religions God chose this people to work with directly uh, to call and to to be keep to maintain a witness of the true and living God in the, in a world that was uh, turning from God and for on the one hand and secondly to work through that people group to bring through the Redeemer bring the Messiah the Savior uh, into the world and so we God we see the enemy trying to cut off that lineage trying to destroy that plan of God over and over again but God in his sovereignty without without offending or breaking the free will of any individual God works in in, in his sovereign way to bring about his plan 
in history and time and space, often even using his enemies, uh, often using those who weren't unbelievers, in fact. So we'll, we'll we get to that tonight. This past week, we read the book of Romans in the New Testament and got into a little bit of the book of Ezra, but we'll focus tonight on the book of Romans. But before we uh, go there, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, a very f- a special friend who's going to join us. Uh, his name is David. Uh, he is. Um, he works at the VA. He works at the VA, and his particular work has to. It's it's a very fascinating work, as most of you know. I work with. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. I work with crew, as it's called, crew military, and we work with uh, men and women who are going into the Air Force. At Lackland Air Force Base, we work with the basic trainees, uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of them, in fact, uh, through the years as we help lead uh, and present uh, under the auspices and under the leadership of the of the chaplains there. Uh, we are one of 17 or 18 faith groups uh, that are able to help men the spiritual needs of the young men and women going into the United States Air Force so that uh, even as they're going into the military, they don't give up their rights, uh, freedom of religion. And uh, the United States government is intent on letting them have the opportunity of expressing their religious faith, even as they're going through basic training. So we get an opportunity to uh, provide the religious education classes there, along with many other groups, um, Buddhists, uh, Mormons, uh, um, and so on. Uh, but we are one of those. And, and it's it's just been an incredible blessing to meet these young men and women in our military service. And this, uh, this friend of ours that's coming on to Tonight is one who works. Uh, Jacob, help me out here at knowing yeah, he, exactly. Uh, he works at the VA. He's <laughs> a, he's a friend, and uh, actually, uh, with your consent, uh, you had a friend that was passing away of cancer that had worked with you for uh, many years. Uh huh. And he was kind enough to uh, sit down and talk with you and him and his wife. And I'm sure he can't set, talk about certain private things because that would probably be a breach of something. Uh-huh. But uh, he uh, he was very, very kind. I got a chance to witness how good he was at talking with people and and handling people that are in the process of dying. Right. Now, that is his uh, actual role. Is it, It's it's a hospice-type right. work that he carries out. And uh, I, I was unaware of that too and and it was just to me not only was i very impressed by david's graciousness and by his tenderness and by his love and by his willing his servant heart to to take on my friend and kind of in a last minute situation right. uh and, and to see him deal with uh my friend and with his wife as he met with them uh i was just i, I, I was just so impressed and i'm and i'm so glad we had the opportunity to visit with david um let me see if I and can. And he's get on. Uh, he's on the phone right now. That's right. I think he's joining us now. I'm going to pot him up here so we can b- bring him into our Are conversation. Are you him? Good evening. Well, we call it in the radio biz. We call it potting him up. So uh, anyway, is we're, this David? Are you there? He's. I think he's. With yes, us this is me. Well, good evening to you there, uh-huh. Jacob. Good evening to you there, Sophie. I'm uh-huh. so glad to visit with you, David. We appreciate so much your being willing to come on and talk a little bit about what you do. I, I think it's so remarkable, and I and I believe that. Folks will be really um, intrigued by this very special 
kind of ministry that you carry out uh, in dealing with uh, mortality, dealing with uh, men and women who are very uh, shortly or they're they're in the process of dying, and and there's so many interesting Actually, aspects I think of that. We're all in the process of dying. Yeah, we all are going there someday, but uh, we're talking about in, in, in those final days, sometimes weeks of of a person's life. Um, how how did you begin to get into this kind of ministry, this kind of work, David? Sure. Well, well first of all, I'd say it's a calling. It's definitely a calling. I would say it was uh, first uh, an external calling where I had. Also, individuals from the uh, local congregation say, you know, we see some gifts in you, so uh, ever consider going into the chaplaincy? And I say, absolutely not. <laughs> and maybe I just didn't yeah. be ready for you know, that kind of ministry there. And then uh, after mulling it over for a few years, you know, I just took it to the Lord in prayer. Well, Lord, if this is where you want me to go, make it happen. Just let it be. And if it's not, your will for me to go through this uh, uh-huh. path, well, close the door, by all means. <laughs> I would told me I'll be okay with that. Well, it turns out, yeah, the Lord flung doors open for this to happen. So um, I had to go to seminary, and, um, well, you know, I did, I did first of all, before I went to go to seminary, I received, I guess what we would call the internal um, calling, where I sense a, a sense of peace. Uh-huh. in my spirit, in my heart, that, yes, this is what I want you to do there, David. Because that's what I did pray for, um, you know, clarity, for um, just wisdom, understanding, guidance, direction, you know, those kinds of things. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I did receive the uh, internal calling. And you know what, you know what, there, Soapy and Jacob, after I received the internal calling, I want you to know that uh, it became a passion. <laughs> I was actually, you know, Jump at the bits to get started in this uh, in this new path. So uh, the both external calling and the internal calling came while I was serving in the Air Force. So I was um, an enlisted member, had served. Oh, by that time, I think maybe eight years. So I did have a couple of uh, career fields. I was an uh, air- aircraft mechanic on the C-130, and then I cross-trained over to munitions, otherwise known as ammo. Uh-huh. So I did that for a few years, and then I got the calling, and then um, there, um, uh, separated from the Air Force and attended seminary, and then um, enrolled in a residency course, which would be a chaplain residency course uh-huh. uh, for two years. So the first year would be a residency, where there, it's uh, just general clinical uh, rotations through various uh, assignments, uh-huh. uh, several wards. Know, units and so I visit the, the patients there, and uh, I, I did that for uh, part time of my full time role. So twenty hours a week doing clinicals, while twenty hours are dedicated to instruction or classroom environment, where I get together with my peers and a, um, a wow. supervisor. And so that would be called CPE, clinical pastoral education. And so the first year was a, um, a residency. Is that uh, somewhat the second like, well, year? It, is that somewhat oh, yeah. like, we, like what we call OG, OJT on the job training? Is that kind of like that? Is it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that um, because after all, one by this point would already be a, a chaplain and um, already had those credentials. Except sure. one may not necessarily have that certification uh-huh. 
for uh, the residency. Now, from and the so upon completion of the first year, the uh-huh. one has an option to attend for a second year. Uh-huh. The second year would then be a, uh, a specialty. Yes. And it could be in the area of uh, mental health or trauma or um, hospice slash palliative care, uh, substance abuse, uh, things of that nature. So, so gets I, I think what you do is called polytrauma or hospice. Is that is that right, the idea? Uh, did you start off from the very beginning working with uh, people who were facing the end uh, days of their life, or was it something that you kind of transitioned into over time? Yes, I, I, I transitioned into that. So um, upon completion of the, um, the clinical pastoral education program, then I did apply for uh, Air Force active duty and got picked up as an Air Force chaplain there. So th- there wasn't no, any hospice or uh-huh. active care opportunities there. So there would just be you know, ministering to the uh, the active duty uh, personnel. When, so did you, did when, did you, when did you go into the Air Force? I'm just curious about that. You're, oh, yeah, sure. I, I go back to the 80s, so that was I uh, 87. I see. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know why, but I would say I wondered if you went through our courses out of, out of, like with the basic trainees, but I guess you were long before us. Uh, actually, yeah. we didn't start till somewhere around 2005, 2008 in that range. Well, let me ask you this uh, about that particular role. Uh, what are some of the things that you have learned? Uh, as you know, we are here in our this particular program. We are reading through the Bible, and we're, tonight we just past week we read through the Book of Romans, and um, you know the, there's a lot of biblical truths and a lot of understandings about Scripture and so on about uh, our mortality, about life, what God's plan is for us as His people, and so you are you are ministering to people who may not necessarily be of uh, great faith or not, but how, how what is it like? What what has been the experience? Uh, does it have its highlights and its high moments and then sometimes more difficult? Or what is it generally like to deal with people who are in this very sensitive time of their life? Okay, sure. So, so uh, ministering to those who are at end of life, uh, you know, going into the encounter, I wouldn't necessarily know, you know, where they're at um, unless we had spoken about it during our interdisciplinary team uh-huh. meeting, uh-huh. Um, in, in that occasion, there would be an opportunity to review some um, some notes, uh, medical history, and so one could get an idea there. That doesn't necessarily um, don't always have that do, privilege. So do, there's, there's some opportunities have, where I may just go in cold and. Uh-huh. Uh, do people of faith? Do people of faith usually self-identify in some way? As you're sure. talking with them, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We would just uh, do an assessment and um, you know ask them if they're able to communicate. Ask them their religious preference. Uh, what are some of their uh, spiritual practices? If they uh-huh. have any. Uh-huh. Uh, what are some things that I can help facilitate for their spiritual care needs? And, uh, and yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be some dialogue. Whether. Um, Yes or no. It's yeah. simply that easy. Just asking the questions. If they're not able to, then uh, of course ask the family members. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And if sure. I could ask, okay, a question, and, and they, David. Yeah. Oh, uh, pardon? I'm sorry. Could I ask a question? Kind of following up. Oh on yeah, sure. We ask you. Uh, the I had that opportunity to see how you uh, treated uh, 
as a friend, Soapy's friend, and uh, and I, I I was very impressed with uh, how you handled that, and you didn't try to persuade him that he should uh, do something or take a certain stand. And I wondered, how did you develop that? Is that something that you got sensitive to from going through many people that were in the last stages of life and you learned that? Where did you gain that experience and that compassion, that understanding from? Sure. I'd say a lot of the experience training comes from the clinical pastoral education residency program where uh, when it's time for classroom discussions, uh, there is an opportunity for the peers to uh, present a case and uh, you know talk about um, the theological issues that arose, maybe uh, psychological issues that arose, maybe the uh, things that I did right and those things that maybe didn't go so well, didn't go according to what I had anticipated, uh-huh. or maybe even how I put my foot in my mouth and that one they just, just went south from there <laughs> so we'll actually it happens to the it. best you know it's just open discussion yeah, yeah and, and so we learn from uh, each other and of course we're also going to have the input of our supervisor and so we're going to learn uh, maybe to practice be more intentional about practicing listening uh, you know good assertive listening, reflective listening, uh, maybe just uh, rephrasing uh, the the answer, you know, is this what you're saying? And you know, they, they would confirm or maybe just adjust the, the statement slightly. So that we, we're, we're getting a, a clear picture of their intentions. Okay, so, you know, we certainly do practice a, a lot of listening. In fact, we would even call that active listening. And, uh, you know, we're not there to... Uh, introduce our agenda or, or hidden agenda. We're here about the uh, the patients themselves because, after all, uh, you know, it's about patient centered care. Uh-huh. It's about the needs of the, uh, the the patient. And so we certainly want to remove uh, any agenda that may be perceived. We, we, we don't want to proceed. We just lost you. Just, we, lo- we lost you just a bit. Are you? I don't know if you're on the road, or if your cell phone maybe got into a bad cell, uh, but you just became a little more difficult for us to hear. Let me ask you this question about. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> most of the people that you're dealing with is. <clears throat> This is rather a very sensitive moment, a sensitive time in the fam- life of the family and the loved ones and so on. Um, <clears throat> what is the um, what have you learned? Let me put it this way: What have you learned about human beings from? I mean this this is probably uh, the most, uh, in some ways, perhaps even the most important moment. This is where the last great enemy of our soul, you know, death itself, is. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I, that's a great question, Soapy. What have you learned, David? I'd be interested in that. Sure. Too much. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll tell you what, what I learned. It's this simple. I would say that there are some people that are actually ready to transition from this life to the next life. And, of course, I've also learned that there are some people that are absolutely not ready. And so they're uh, basically uh, kicking and screaming the way not to go. <laughs> so uh-huh, they just right. haven't really uh, come to terms with uh, their mortality. Yeah. And they want to stick around for a while longer, they want an extended life. Uh-huh. And, of course, not everybody is uh, given the opportunity to have their life extended. 
and so yeah, that's um, you know that's where we can talk to the individual and, and walk through uh, their their journey of uh, wow of, of death, and, and you know find out you know what what, what is uh, keeping you from um, accepting this, yeah. and, and hopefully they'll, they'll they'll be open for open dialogue. Well, yeah, I, I this this is the the moment. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, I suppose, in the most real and uh, very concrete way. Well, uh, we're so grateful you came on with us tonight to talk about this remarkable ministry that you're carrying out, and uh, God, God be with you, and God continue to use you and bless you and. And uh, bless your ministry there, David. We are so proud of you and thankful for your service to our country and our nation in that sense, but also to uh, to these men and women who who have served our nation, so many of them veterans and so on. And, and we appreciate your being there for them. And I appreciate your being there for my friend when when we needed you. And it was such an eye-opening and, and it's such a wonderful experience to see you deal with uh, this man and his wife so gently and yet uh, so so just so well. And encouraging to them, uh, Jerry has gone on to be with the Lord now, and we have that hope and, and within us. Uh, and uh, that was, but that was a marvelous thing to behold. I was like Jim; I was impressed with that process. And thank you for taking the time uh, voluntarily to just make time to bring us in to see us, and to even you even made a call to his doctor to get uh, get some information from him on, on their behalf. I, I was just. Uh, I was really, really impressed with your servant heart, David, and I want to encourage you and thank you for what you're doing. It, it, oh, yeah, sure. It, it okay. honors well, our Lord, so and we're all proud of you. <laughs> okay. Well, well, thank you so much for, for, for relaying that, and it was definitely a privilege to minister to our friend there. Is there, is there anything in your heart, just before we, we're going to have to go to our break in just a moment, but just before we break out of this, is there anything maybe you would talk to our audience something that maybe uh, some word that you have from your life experience and anything else you might like to communicate? Okay, sure. Well, you know what I would say to the, um, you know, if there's any veterans out there who uh, aren't enrolled yet into the the VA healthcare system, I I would encourage them to, you know, if they are going through some issues and uh, need some help, and maybe for one reason or another, they're just reluctant to be enrolled. Uh-huh. Well, I want you to know that the VA healthcare system is ready, willing, and available to uh, you know help meet their their healthcare needs and give them just all the support, the resources that they need to uh, you know just overcome you know, whatever issue they, they may yeah. be having right now. Whether it's uh, you know physical needs, mental health needs, you know whatever the case may be. David, uh, there's our music. I really want to thank you for taking time to call and give us some insight. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. We're proud of you, my friend. Keep up the great work. Okay, thank you so much. God bless. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, there is our music. Our first segment is finished. We'll come back now and begin our discussion of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 16, and maybe a little bit Ezra, but I think we'll be focusing tonight quite a bit on Paul's letter to the Romans. This is a remarkable letter, piece of correspondence. It's the most complete presentation of the gospel and and the meaning of the gospel uh, for that time and for our times as well. So don't go away. If you'd like to give us a call, 340-9585 is our phone number. We'll be right back. With offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the dollar family that
that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. If you want to have integrity, be the same person in private as you are in public. I'm glad you've joined us for today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Our reading today is titled, Stick Figure Lesson, and it was written by Elisa Morgan. A friend of mine, well, okay, it was my counselor, drew a stick figure on a sheet of paper. She labeled this the private self. Then she drew an outline around the figure, about a half inch larger, and named it the public self. The difference between the two figures, between the private and public selves, represents the degree to which we have integrity. I paused at her lesson and wondered, am I the same person in public that I am in private? Do I have integrity? Paul wrote letters to the church in Corinth, weaving love and discipline into his teachings to be like Jesus. As he neared the end of this second letter, he addressed accusers who challenged his integrity by saying he was bold in his letters, but weak in person. These critics used professional oratory to take money from their listeners. While Paul possessed academic prowess, he spoke simply and plainly. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, he had written in an earlier letter, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. His later letter revealed his integrity, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Paul presented himself as the same person in public that he was in private. How about us? Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Remember when there was a radio in every room in the house? Well, those days are back. And thanks to Alexa, you can listen to us anywhere. Find out how you can get AM630 The Word through Alexa by going to am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. After a six-year lull, the group Vampire Weekend has released its fourth studio album, Father of the Bride. This collection of songs tackles difficult subjects, from heartbreak and suffering to global and political unrest, merging deep thoughts and positive messages with plain-spoken personal opinion. a lot to like here, but comments about Christians and politics, melancholy stories of lost love, and fond memories of sensual encounters will leave a number of listeners wrestling with this dense and complex album. For a full review, visit PluggedIn.com radio. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. 
wishing all dads a happy Father's Day from AM 630 KSLR. Thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm. Good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. We are back. <laughs> there we go. Um, there, there's the reason we weren't getting it. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll get that right. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bible Live, and we're going to begin our discussion tonight of this remarkable book of Romans. And I, I say it's a remarkable book because it's the most complete presentation that we get from uh, this converted Jewish rabbi, uh, Saul of Tarsus. He is... Jewish, Jewish to the bone. He is no. The, he is a proud member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's uh, he never considered himself anything at all but Jewish. I mean, he you know this whole idea that he left his religion and became a Christian. What that was never his perspective. And I think that uh, uh, it's not my perspective. I've come to the conclusion that it's not Jews who have to convert to Christianity. It's those of us who have embraced Jesus. Uh, of Nazareth as the, as the Messiah. Look, we're worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're revering and reading the book that God has preserved through the Hebrew people and through the New Testament writers. God's. We're talking about the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about the book uh, that God has inspired and left for us. We're talking about the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior that is a Jewish, a Jewish man, the Jewish Savior, the Jewish Messiah. Nothing about what we have done. We are the ones who have embraced and become now a part of Israel as we are grafted in to Israel. So I think that is a true, a very accurate and true descriptive of what we have done. I've even talked to a, a rabbi here in our city one time. I remember it at a supper. <laughs> we were at a wedding supper, and Jacob. I know his name. Yes. We were at a wedding supper. I, I love him to death. We're, we're good friends now. We meet occasionally. And he he had heard something of my story about being an orphan and a Apache Indian and passed around to sixteen families and put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys and when I was uh, five years old and so he heard some of my story and you know of, of God's faithfulness to me and so on but I had never really talked about my my experience in a religious sense in other words what what religious expression uh, or, or the way I identified myself religiously and I remember him. Asking me at the table after, you know, we were at a wedding and the people were up and dancing and so on. I mean, he and I were seated at the table and, and he said, Sophie, your, your experience is so interesting. He said, but how do you, when people ask you what religion you are, you know, what, how do you, uh, how do you, what do you tell them? How do you define yourself in the religious sense? 
And I said, well, you may find it. <laughs> You may find it rather interesting. I think you found it shocking, actually. But say, most of the time, I just tell people I'm Jewish. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I thought I was going to have to pick him up off the floor. He was just, what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I said, you know, I, I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I revere the book uh, uh, that God has preserved, the Hebrew Scriptures and, and the New Testament, and I and follow after the, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. I don't – how much more Jewish can I be? And uh, and he said, you know, I never thought of that. I I never looked at it that way. That's interesting. And of course, um, it, it, the the Bible actually that is the perspective I think that we see Paul take here in the in the book of Romans. He they never they never think and they present themselves as something going out and starting something new. Uh, you know, the idea is that Jesus didn't come to planet Earth to start a new religion. He came to purchase the redemption and the salvation of all men everywhere. And it had its beginnings. The roots of that redemptive plan had its beginnings in and through the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the, their descendants, that God had covenanted in his grace to use them. So that's the – and that's what's laid out for us in the book of Romans. That, I, I love and, it, Jacob, well, because I think we always so over, good. we neglect to say this. That they were snappy dressers, they created nice bathrooms, they had nice steam baths, they had uh, toilets, you know, they had all that. So we never mentioned that. That's what I think they deserve a lot of credit for. And what, uh, <laughs> and what I always say is, is that I always like to look at these particular books in the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, uh, and I like to see who he is writing to. And, uh, and and that helps me. If I know the group of people he's writing to, it kind of helps me put it in the framework of what he wants to convey to that group of people. And obviously he's writing right. to yeah. Romans here. Yeah, and the, the thing about Rome, he had never – Paul had never been to Rome in all of his missionary journeys – uh, he had been to Philippi, he had been to Thessalonica, he had been to these cities and to the region of Galatia. He had been there, and so he was riding back to Corinth. He lived there a couple of years. He was riding back to people, kind of uh, filling in the gaps in his teaching when he was there with them physically and in all of those other letters. But he had never been to Rome. And do you know? Do you recall from the Book of Acts how he got to Rome? Oh, he got there at government expense. He did. <laughs> it's just like uh, it's like uh, one time I heard William F. Buckley was running for mayor in New York, and they said, "If you win, because it's a long shot, he's going to win." Uh-huh. They said uh, they asked him, "What would you do if you won?" He said, "Ask for a recount." <laughs> <laughs> and so, what Paul did, he basically won his trial, but because he was a Roman citizen, uh-huh. he appealed to Caesar. There we go, and then. In yeah. Acts chapter, I believe it's 26, yeah, he's yeah. going through this trial. So they, so they had to transport him. So he was just appealing yeah. even though he was winning. It's like appealing your case to the uh, Supreme Court and they accept your case. He had, as a, as a Roman citizen, a uh, free Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal his case to Caesar. And he did that, and they were obliged then to uh, book him a, a cruise right. uh, across the Mediterranean right. over to Rome. And uh, that's how he ultimately got there. But he wrote this letter before that, and, and he had not been there visiting. And so this is, therefore, it has become the most complete. Uh, actually, in the first chapters, chapters 1 and 2, 
Paul backs way up, even pre-Abrahamic, you know, before before the covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talks about all human beings in the general broad uh, terms of, of the creator uh, revealing himself to all of humanity and each person being responsible for the light of revelation. What, what God has revealed to each person of himself, that is what we are ultimately responsible for. Uh, in terms of our decision before the Lord. In the so, version you're reading, mm-hmm. do you happen to have a Bible with you? I do, I do, oh, I do. Oh, wow, I do, I do, you yeah. came prepared tonight. I did. I'm... Hey, listen, in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, how do they translate that in your version? Bond, servant, slave, what are they A called? slave. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, uh-huh. chosen by God to be an apostle. Uh, an apostle means a sent one, a messenger, and sent out to preach his good news. Well, in the version I'm looking at, which is NASB, uh-huh. uh, they use the word bondservant. Uh-huh. And really the word is, uh, from the Hebrew is neved, or eved, eved, eved. Uh-huh. And depending on the choice and skill and purpose of the translator, they can translate it bondservant, or they can translate it slave, if what's your, the one you like. I think I know, I know the Greek word. I think um, if I can get it to come up in my old brain, my seventy-year-old uh, brain. Wow. I just turned I, I seventy, don't know what by the, the Greek way. Word is. Do I they just, have a word for this? Yes, uh, it, it's um, do. Isn't it doulos or something like don't that? No, I have no idea. Maybe some of our listeners can um, give us a thought. I was thinking it was the doulos. A servant or uh, uh, something, but by anyway, the way, do we happen to have a telephone number? Should we do two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five? That's okay, our I was phone writing number. Writing it down, I messed it. Would you repeat that? <laughs> You're not writing this down. Two ten three four zero nine five eight five. And John, the producer, will then take calls. Yeah, and, and exactly. We'd love to have you participate and join with us in our consideration. Uh, the and reason I asked about that, the Book of Romans. Right. The reason I asked <laughs> that, and I know you're familiar with this idea. And he starts off, and now he's writing to the Romans. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that, uh, what is it, only one or two people out of every 13 or 14 in Rome was a free person. Right. Everybody else is a slave. So he's saying something to be very familiar to Romans. (laughs) That's right. I'm a slave, I'm a bond servant. Uh But from the Hebrew, as you know, uh, that uh, there's one time that you cannot ask forgiveness from the person you harmed, right? Okay. And it's because... They were dead. They're dead. I remember so, you telling that's me right. this. That's right. So what he's saying I wasn't trying is, to take your story. I wasn't trying to interrupt, no, but no, I remember okay. you telling me this. No, yeah. yeah. Well, he says, so I'm in my version, a bondservant of Jesus. To me, uh, reading that, I'm saying, well, I understand. Jesus is dead. Uh, I know he's resurrected and all that. But he's telling the Romans... He's saying, look, uh, I cannot ask for forgiveness for whatever role I played. And we can maybe explore what role he played. Uh But uh, so really, and and the rule is, is that you must go to the person you did wrong to. If I stole your $100, I could give you the $100 that I took plus $100 from myself. Do to myself what I did to you. Now, once I've scored it away with you, I now have to score it away with God. Right. So, but you can't do that if the person's dead. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important for him to tell all the Romans, that's who he's writing this to, I got myself a problem here. I can't ask the guy that I did wrong. But in a sense, I know if we apply it to the resurrection, he probably mm-hmm, could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's talking to the Romans. 
And the Romans understand bond servants, slaves. They got that idea. Yeah. They they implemented it, Joe. In a way, he's saying, I owe him my life. There you go. Uh, and, and so, uh, well, we see that in the first two chapters. He backs up and he deals with with humanity. And what I mean is pre-Abrahamic. In other words, apart from religion like Abraham, he only brings in Abraham in chapter 2. He gets down to the special revelation that God gave himself of himself to through to and with and through this man named Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the people of Israel. But until up until then, he's talking about general revelation that God has given to every human being. Uh, on the planet, at some level, what we—the idea we get—is that God, the Creator, has revealed Himself to every human being. And now, when we say that, we have to be careful. We know what we're saying. We're talking about—we're talking about um, perhaps even uh, um, children in the womb that, that don't come to terms somehow or other. That, that as human beings, God is obligated to reveal something of Himself. And allow them to respond to him. Uh, what God is doing is calling out of the human race a people for himself. And, and he reveals himself and that we are responsible. Do we desire him? Do we love him? Do we want God? Uh, do we want to live under his rule uh, or do we not? And so at some level, God who alone would be able to do this uh, can ascertain then what what is our response to him and those who respond with faith with longing with a desire for immortality for righteousness that's the 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 passage he uses uh the words that he uses in Romans chapters 1 and 2 that uh, as we have that longing now there's no other there's no other redemptive plan but through the messiah through the Savior, that's the basis upon which God can redeem and save and 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 forgive us. There is there is God has dealt with our sin in, in a just way, but some people don't know about Jesus. I know that my ancestors who lived on this on this continent five hundred years ago, they never heard of Jesus of Nazareth and Abraham and Isaac and all. And yet there were men and women uh, among Native American tribes that that loved God, that sought after the Creator and honored Him. And and with all their heart and sought him. And I know that there are people that that God, as they as they responded in faith to what they knew of God, He was faithful to bring them more light and information. Sometimes that happened through uh, uh, Spanish conquistadores. It would come and talk to them about Jesus, and the first time they hear the name of Jesus, and so on. And you uh, know, yeah. there's actually a couple of verses I believe that address exactly what you just said. I think so. In Ro- in Romans, it is Romans. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course, I'm trying to stick to Romans. Yeah, what are you looking at? I'm looking at chapter one, verse nineteen and twenty. And I really like 20 because it's really a play on words, at least in my version. <laughs> okay, let me see. All right, we got it here in my hand. 18 and 19. Okay. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, you know, the seasons and so on. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, that's, so that's, a, that's kind actually of kind of a nice uh, way of translating that, was saying the sun and the moon, as you mm-hmm. read, because the version I got, which is kind of a clever version, actually mm-hmm. it's, uh, and in the King James it says, 
the invisible is clearly seen. In other words, of course it's clear. I'm looking through it. It's invisible. But I want <laughs> the invisible to, is clearly yeah. seen. Now, now that's a little a, bit of a puzzle. A, uh, as a Jewish reader, when uh-huh. I read that, and, he, and uh, we've learned from you tonight, <clears throat> this very night, that Paul was a Jew. That's right. Wow. Well, we well, knew that already. But, well, you uh, did? Yeah, 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 oh, no, my. Of course. Well, I learned that from you right now. That I <laughs> All right. But what I read out of 1, verses 19 and 20, uh-huh. I read his reference to Deuteronomy chapter 4, okay. 16 through 18. I'm not surprised. And that's what I get out of that because... Uh, back in Deuteronomy, he's saying to the first of the Jews, says, look, you didn't see anything. You just saw a fire. You heard a voice. Then he says, now to the rest of the world. He said, don't think that you can worship a planet or a sun or a moon. He actually names those things. And so what he's doing is in chapter 4, he's saying, look, not everybody could be at Mount Sinai that day. Mm-hmm. So other things are built, the sun, the sun, the sky, the moon, the planets, and they can see that those things are physical and somebody built them. Therefore, his invisible qualities are shown from what is clearly built. And so when I read this, and your translations almost uses the same words from Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when I see that, I, I, I think that's what he's referring to. Might well have been through his Jewish mind. I bet you anything. These guys are full of the scriptures. I, I've noticed Jesus was, and, and later on uh, Peter was. and the, 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 You squeeze them, and out come the scriptures. They, they know God's like word. Like pudding. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Like toothpaste. I guess. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, that's chapters 1 and 2. Then he gets into talking about this special revelation that God gave through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the choosing of this man, a father of our faith. Uh, and by the way, talking of fathers, today is Father's Day. No. Let's say I've congratulations and to all of our dads out there listening today. What a tremendous calling and privilege it is for us to be dads. Uh, and heads of our families and lovers of our wives and and uh, our children and taking care. What a privilege, what a joy, what a delight they are in our grandchildren. And so we, we want to congratulate all of you who are uh, whom God has blessed to be a dad and, uh, and wish you many, many great happiness and many great successes as you raise those children. I know <laughs> there are a lot of jokes told about why God made us children made, gave us children. Uh, <laughs> so, and I won't go into that. I know it's not always pleasant. It's hard work being a dad. I think I'm going to leave that alone too. You're not going to touch that but one. You but you know, I, speaking of Romans, uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, there we go. That, Let's come yeah. back to that. Uh, I, I was just coming to talk about Abraham there, the okay, father well, of our faith. Right. Yeah. Look at chapter three, and I really am fond of verse thirty-one in chapter uh-huh. three, which happens to address one of your questions. Oh, chapter 3. Chapter 3. That's one uh, after 2, but before 4. Before 4. I got it. I got it. It's verse 31. I'm a math major. I should know that. Uh, That's right. Uh, 31, 31. Come on, come on. Get over and over there. Somehow I keep grabbing more pages than I need to. Here we go. You want me to read it? If you like. Well, why am I not? I'm having a hard time getting that page to separate. There it is. Uh, 331 says, well then, if we emphasize faith, Does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we really truly begin to fulfill the law. See, now I Oh, that's a great theme. That's a great theme that Paul develops. And I, as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
you can correct me even if I'm right. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that I get the f impression, if I'm picking up the theme of what's always said in Romans, is that he's saying, look, for the non-Jew, for the Roman, uh, you know, to the Greek, Roman, whatever, uh -huh. he said, look, your faith is fulfilling the Jewish law. Exactly. He establishes that point about Abraham was justified. Was Abraham justified by his faith or by his act? And he establishes that point that that the fundamental way that we come into a relationship with God, anybody, Jewish or not Jewish, Gen Jewish or Gentile, is by faith and trusting in his goodness and his love and his faithfulness. Uh, it, that's the fundamental way we come into that relationship with God. And uh, it's brilliant what Paul um, explains there in chapter 3. Uh, it says, after all, is God the God of only the Jews? No, he, isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by May faith, ask, so whether they are Jews home, or where, Gentiles. Where are you reading? What you reading? 331. It was the verses right before oh, the I verse see. you okay, mentioned. Okay. Okay. It says, well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. Uh, in fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. And so the law of God is part of that special revelation that God has given to his people as to how we are to live, how we are to behave, how we are to treat one another here on planet Earth. And it's meant for us as God's people. But we come into that relationship with God by faith. And I, and I think this that I've seen this happen on the mission field for almost 50 years now. I've gone to people groups, uh, Mongolia and other parts of the world, where they don't, they've never heard of Jesus they don't they've never heard the message of the gospel and i've talked to them and and shared this simple message of uh, of the creator and abraham and so on the redeemer the messiah and jesus and and they say ah oh, you know all my life i've searched for god tonight i finally met him and i learned that his name is jesus people when they have responded to god when, when a heartfelt deep sincere uh response to god when they hear more truth when they give them more light about God and about God's plan, they will readily embrace and, and receive it. That's one of the characteristics. That's one of the signs that, that, that they were already part of God's people, but they, now God is bringing them faith, being faithful to bring them more light, more understanding, so they can experience more and more of the, of the, the benefits, the thrill, the joy, the delight of walking in a confident, secure relationship with the Creator. And that's... That's that's what Paul is talking about here too in chapters one and two, and then he moves into chapter three and he brings in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he talks about circumcision. I don't know if there's any of that that you might want to address for us. Now remember he's he's writing this letter. Uh, essentially, uh, the, the believers in Rome there were Jews among them, and we know uh, uh, what's her name the, the the couple the married couple that lived there that he Aquila, later on Aquila Aquila and Priscilla, and uh, I believe. It, he met them later and, and lived with them actually in Corinth. They fled, they fled Rome when when the persecution of the church became so so hostile and so uh, strong that they had to leave Rome. Um, but he's writing to people who are uh, not Jewish necessarily. A, a lot of a lot of Gentile believers, and so he's having to clarify this relationship, which I've always thought was quite remarkable here. Um, in that time and in the time we live in, Jacob, 
that's still a struggle. That's still that's still a little bit of a, a, a stressful thing to think about. What is the relationship that that we have now? You know, the Jewish people with with these Gentiles who are now embracing the, their God and coming into the and and talking about and loving God and serving God and walking with God through through Jesus of Nazareth. And so we we have. The, that relationship was always a little bit stressed, even from the time of Jesus in the first century, and even to this time. Um, I, I I find it in some ways sad, but it seems almost a part of God's plan. In some way, that, that's one thing we see in Romans that it doesn't he say at one point that maybe God did that on purpose. That in some ways, uh, in some way, the. Not all of Israel, of course. We're not talking about every Jewish person. I mean, deep land, deep land. There are millions of Jewish men and women who follow, who followed after Jesus the Messiah, and they didn't give up their Jewishness and they didn't stop, just like the first century ones. But then, for others, it's it's a it's become a sticking point. It's become a something of a uh, we struggle with that relationship. And I think part of the blame comes on us as Gentile believers in that we've not really looked at the scriptures and understood. That we are the ones being grafted in, not not the other oh, way around. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You're absolutely right. And but you know what's interesting? There's a verse I really kind of like, and I always like to slow it down. Uh-huh. In chapter seven, verse fourteen. Okay. Seven fourteen. Uh, and I really, I don't know how it translates in yours, but I, I really kind of like that because that's something I think that people forget. This is one of the sticking points, I believe, that you just touched on. I oh my goodness. All right. One of the sticking points is the place of the law, because Jewish men and women revere the the Torah, the laws of God, and, and it's it's in their DNA, their spirit. And, and for sometimes we as believers, as Gentile believers, we say things like, "Well, we're no under, no longer under the law, but under grace," and we kind of diminish. And and it's a true statement, but we have to understand what it means. And it sounds like we're saying, "Well, the law has no importance anymore. That's the law right. has and no a place." Regular Jewish person, when I hear that, they go. The Conversation yeah. is pretty well done. Yeah, they cringe, and it's it, and it's simply uh, not true as well, even from a Christian point of view. So we maybe could clarify yeah, that when we, we come, come back. Maybe we when come back after part. after this fine selection of music selected by John. John for Father's Day, right? There we go. Well, folks, don't go away. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'll be right back and continue our discussion of the Book of Romans here on the Bible Life. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
right. We are back for our final segment and a lot to cover here in the book of Romans. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's just a remarkable book. Now, uh, what is it we said we were going to talk about when we oh, came back? I was going to finish 7.14 real quick. Okay. 7.14 is, a God, Paul says, and he points out, mm-hmm. that's something that I'm very fond of in this book, uh-huh. is that the law is spiritual. Well, that's because God said the law, but he pierced yes. the mundane world, the material world, from the spiritual side and gave the law. So as Paul's saying, as I understand 7.14, he's saying, look, the law itself is on Mount Sinai. God spoke it, so it came from yeah, God's side. Yeah, it's a of reflection the, of the yeah. character of our God. Yeah, in, so, in, and he's saying it's spiritual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, the Jews don't think that you get to heaven by obeying the law. They right. never thought that. There might have been a guy that had a cousin that lived next door to a guy who had a friend in New <laughs> who Zealand. mistakenly but, thought yeah. that, but, but yeah. But it's not, never been a part of the official understanding. But they do think that it's absolutely spiritual. Yeah, and it's absolutely important it. to God's people. If we're going to call ourselves the people of God, we can't ignore his commands, what he, right. how he tells us to live. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. And I think that let's just straighten it out to us as believers, as New Testament believers, as Gentiles grafted into the people of God. The law is still beautiful and powerful. It's a reflection of the character of our God. And it is God's full intent to to fulfill the law. He is part of what He is doing in us as believers. Is He is writing the law on our hearts, on our minds, on our uh, to, from the inside out. Fact, so if the law is say, irrelevant, doesn't He say in the New Testament book of the Hebrew? Mm-hmm. Doesn't He say that? He will write the law on people's hearts. Yeah, exactly. If of course, it's a quote from the Deuteronomy and other passages. It is indeed. But if he says that, then how could it be done away with? Evidently, nobody told God. Yeah. Because he's writing, <laughs> because, uh, it could, because he's writing it on people's hearts. <laughs> Somebody says, wait, that's all done away with. Yeah. But what it says in the book of Hebrew in the New Testament in the Christian scriptures, that they're going to write it on, he's going to write it on people's hearts. So that seems like he's carrying it forward, but making it part of the human being themselves. So that's what always caught my attention. I thought, well, evidently nobody told God. Let's correct that. Now, the the whole point of it, we're not under law, but under grace, is the sense that we're not... The law is not the defining character, the defining element that right. that establishes. Right. We don't come into a relationship with God by keeping the law. That's we can't earn our way in. No. But for us as God's people, the law is precious and beautiful, and it's it's our desire yeah. to to fulfill the laws of God in all of our heart. But we're only able to do that by His grace and by His enabling power, and well, that's why He has and, sent and the, the Holy way Spirit. The Jews take this is. They've never really understood that the law was meant to get you to heaven. The law is solely, 100% exclusively meant on how human beings are supposed to live on earth. Not just human beings in in, in sin, but also how the people of God among well, the human race, those who love human God. Human beings might be the people of God, uh-huh. but you know. But there are some. That's the, now, now that's where we have a little animals. problem. Because I was going to say, I thought uh-huh. you were going to say the animals, and I can say I don't think animals can read. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about the animals. Uh, but there is a genuine uh, recognition of the fact here in the Book of Romans and throughout the Scriptures that not every human being loves God and wants that's God. That's true. And, and so we are caught, and that's 
and I think that means whether they're Jewish, you know, in an ethnic sense or whatever, not every human being wants God, loves God, desires oh, to follow absolutely God. absolutely true. And so um, we come to this, uh, this uh, chapter 7 then talks about the law, and in chapter 8 talks about life in the Spirit. And that, I, I love that particular passage, that chapter. He starts opening up then. Uh, the spiritual dynamic of our relationship with God, what God has done uh, in in time and space, real time, real space, through a real person, a real Messiah, a real Redeemer, but he has he has affected a spiritual solution for man's problem of sin, and that his we can come to into a confident, secure relationship with God, whether we're Jew or Gentile. By faith and trust in His goodness and His provision Which for our sin. Which is a perfect segue uh-huh. to chapter nine. Yes, boy. So chapter be- nine. Paul takes the bull by the horns here. This is a. It's a little bit. I think or maybe for the you a difficult. By the bull. Is this a? Is this a difficult well, passage is, for you? I'm going to be quite frank with you. <clears throat> I have really read this repeatedly mm-hmm. in nine six, mm-hmm. and I've tried to get out because I'm familiar with what I hear a lot of preachers say mm-hmm. that nine six means. Now I'm going to be honest with you. Of course, I I approach them from a different paradigm, paradigm. But I'm uh, I must say I cannot get out of what the most the Christian preachers are saying that means in nine six. Okay, let so me let me ex- back up. Tell you what, let's do this. Why don't you read what you want to read? Uh-huh. I'll read my nine six, so we got a comparison, okay. and then you can explain what it Good. means. Good. If you don't, I really want to back up and oh, catch. I'd say back up. I want to get three, maybe. I want yeah. no, no, no. I want to get Paul's get a sense of Paul's uh, passion, Paul, what he's sensing and believing in, and and right, sure. feeling as he talks about this. He says, "With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness." Can I? I apologize. Would you tell us so we follow? What Chapter verse? nine, verse one. Verse one. Okay. Thanks. Uh, uh, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And then we get to the passage you're interested in. He says, in that context, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, Through though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's okay, children. Now, let me read what number six says in mind. Then you okay. can tell us what... It means. Okay. Number six from NASB. And the reason I choose NASB is because I personally think that's probably the most literal. Literal, uh-huh. Okay, nine six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Uh, seven, 
nor are they children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. Now, I that's uh, why don't you explain, because I know what the typical Christian teaching is, why don't you explain what you think that means? Well, it's it's not, I don't, I don't know, Jacob, if I can do it uh, in the specific way you're talking, uh, actually to meet what your expectations and thoughts are about it. But to me, I, it's just a kind of a fact that no group of people, uh, in other words, there's no group of people that automatically uh, have the relationship with God just by – it all it always is going to require faith and desire and longing on our part because that's what God desires with us. He's looking for a love relationship, and a love relationship is a, a relationship of mutual choice. God choosing to love us and extend himself to us, which he has already done, and then us responding and, and desiring and loving and God. And not everybody, to me it's just a fact of life that not everybody wants God. Not everybody desires is willing to come and under the lordship of, of of God and walk under his his rules. You know, he uh, some people consider God quite a killjoy. He's going to take away all their fun. He's going to take away all of their you know the the things they like to do and so on. And and they just don't want God for for whatever reason. I can never get into all of the psychosis and the psychology of why people someone would not want God in relationship with God, but. I sadly have come to just through real life through the realization that not everybody. I, I grew up with a uh, four hundred boys on a ranch, uh, homeless and delinquent boys. We all heard the same sermons. We all uh, went to the same chapel services. We all had the same experiences. We played on the same football teams, and we had the same experience. We all had access to this message of the gospel. And many, many of the young men that I grew up with trusted Christ and came on. Now, some of them had rocky, up and down kind of experiences for a while until they stabilized in the Lord. But uh, there were still quite a good number that it was just never that important to them that that was not something that interested them and some of them <laughs> went on to prison and they went on to other experiences uh, you know uh, multiple wives and all the experiences that sometimes characterize um, sadly that sometimes characterizes believers as well but uh, so to me it's it's only a recognition of the fact that nobody has an automatic membership just because of you were born through a certain lineage. It's always going to be a matter of, uh, and I think, didn't Jesus bring out the same point? You know, when he talked to the uh, Pharisees, he said, you know, you're not a child of God just because you were children of Abraham. God could make children of Abraham out of these rocks, he said, you know, yeah. but it's it's a matter of desire and faith and longing toward him. So does that in any way answer the question? I, To me, it's rather... I don't get I don't get I don't get confused by it because just as there are many many Gentiles who aren't interested in God I'm I'm sure that you've met Jewish men and women over the years that that really don't have any interest in God and they they're not practicing I and they don't met care. A few, yes, uh, all joking aside, sure that's uh, I, that's absolutely true. See, here's how I and I really work to try and understand what you're saying, but when I read this, uh, it says because we know that. Abraham, uh-huh. it, uh, he had other children. But when it says, it says the children of the, in verse 8, the children of the promise are regarded as the descendants. Through Isaac. Well, uh-huh. through, well it, yeah. But, and through, as it goes on to say, 
through Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. So he had Ishmael. There was also Esau. And we know that Abraham had other children that were not from Sarah. Mm-hmm. So they, they were dis- children, but they were not the descendants of the and received the promise. So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, well, they're saying that, look, he had other kids. But they weren't through, because as you go down, you'll read, uh, it says, uh, even in verse 11, it says that they were from Abraham and Sarah. And then in verse 13, it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Uh So I'm getting Esau and Ishmael and those other people. They're not from Abraham and Sarah. They're from others. And but they're not they're not part of Israel. So when I'm getting that, I'm reading something, and I really, really tried to understand. I get it. Yeah, it's confusing a bit. But think of this: the fact that Ishmael did did not follow after the God of Abraham of his father, and he's not from Sarah, and neither did Esau. No, and they're not from Sarah either. Exactly. But the the point is, I, I I assume that if they had wanted to. They could embrace. They could have embraced the God of Abraham. Absolutely, they were welcomed if they wanted. I'm sure he encouraged them and invited yes. them to do so, but sure. they did not. And we have this lineage of faith: Abraham and Isaac. For some reason or other, right. was willing to receive the devotion of his father Abraham to right. uh, to Jehovah Yahweh. And follow after that God, the true and living God, not not a false God, not an idol. He was mm-hmm. not to adopt the gods of the people of Canaan around him. But Isaac was willing to follow after the God of his father. And then Jacob was willing to do that as well. You see, in his six, son, Isaac's I think son. in six, when it uses the word our descendant, who are uh, not all are Israel, who are descended from Israel. I don't think it's talking about the nation. I think it's talking about Jacob. Jacob, yes. yeah. And so that's the line. Uh-huh. And, but uh, certainly there were other children. Because from there it branches out, right? It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then now you've got the 12 tribes. There, at each, well, at Abraham there was Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And we do know that Abraham had other children. In fact, in the English, when it says he sent them to the east, is what it says in the, in the English translation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to surprise you. Hang on to your seatbelt. But you're going to love this. At least I think it's neat. It says in the Hebrew, Hodo. Hodo. No. Hodo. Yeah. No. And Do you so, know that that's a word in the uh, Game of Thrones? I have no Hodor. idea. Hodor. No. Hodor is one of the main characters. I've never seen the Game of Thrones, so I don't know. Oh, because they said, hold the door, and he kept oh. thinking his name was Hodor. Okay. Well, anyway, go okay. ahead. I'm sorry. I got distracted. No, no, that's, that's fine. Uh, I, I never want to step on a funny line. <laughs> uh, but, the, but the point is, now, so, but he says when he dies, he says he has other sons and daughters, and in English, he'll say they sent to the east. Well, what that's referring to from the Hebrew take is places like India and those kind of countries. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And what is interesting, as you go down, I don't want to get too complex, but as you go down, you'll find that one of the great religions that comes from India and that part of the world, they're, uh, 
uh, I, I'm trying to think of the word, but their supreme god uh-huh. was a god named uh, Vishnu. No, no, no. This is uh, Avriemnu uh, or something like uh-huh. that. But it's not that great of a stretch to see the name Abraham. Uh, interesting. Yes, a- yes, and yes. The other word. Yeah, I, I want to know where that passage is yeah, later I, after the program. Tell me, sure, sure. Because I've always been fascinated yeah. by most of the biblical narrative right. takes place. In a rather uh, well, he localized sends his other children away to, to the east. He yes. says, "Huh?" And, but in English, it says east. But actually, in Hebrew, it's referring to a place that was known at that time, uh-huh. that region, as being what you might call Pakistan, India, India today. Persia, you know, the, you know. Anyway, so when I read this, uh, to me, I'm getting no the promise. As it refers to, and I'm not saying this is right, but I've really struggled mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm, to follow because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I know what the Jewish theology is. Mm-hmm. I also know when I hear Christian preachers say this, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't say that to me. Mm-hmm. What it says is, it says, but the children of the promise are regarded in verse eight are regarded as the descendants. The promise was to the children of Sarah and Abraham. There are other other children, Ishmael. And then we go mm-hmm, over to, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, uh, verse 13, it says, I love Jacob, Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't care so much I've for Esau. I rejected Esau, Esau. Yeah. yeah. And and that's one of the more interesting uh, moments in, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures is when uh, God told uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, right. he told her ahead of time yes, he did. that your younger son, That's right. as it turned out to be Jacob, yep. is going to, uh, I mean, your older son, older son, Esau, is going to serve the younger son. Mm-hmm. And and Rebecca knew this. Yes, she did. And uh, it, it adds a little bit of a... She a, was a strong, independent, fearsome woman. Yeah, and it adds a little bit of a very her. interesting uh, detail to that whole experience of when, yes. you know, whenever she Absolutely. gives her support, actually, to Jacob uh, you know, in, right. to, to get the, the birth uh, right and, right and the blessing from, right. from uh, their father. Um, well, anyway... So anyway, I, you see how I'm taking. Yeah, and I find that fascinating. And I I know what the Jewish theology is. And like I say, when I hear the Christians preachers say, "Well, it's not every Jew that was born in Israel," I'm thinking, I don't think. To me, I don't think that's what they're saying. I don't think that's what they're referring to. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about the guys who went off elsewhere and had other religions because Esau had Hittite wives. He adopted their religion. Mm-hmm. What so, would you think about, uh, uh, just in the interest of time before it gets away from us, what would you think about the idea of a of a multi-level mm-hmm. covenant, in other words, that God has? In other words, the covenant that mm-hmm. God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the yeah. people of God, in, in some ways, it was it was two basic levels. One was purely an earthly covenant. Yes. If you follow me and obey me and trust, I'm going to bless you in the land. I'm going to preserve you and keep you, yes. and I'm going to I'm going to use you as a witness to the nations. There you go. I agree. With that. And then I'm going to bring the redeemer through you. So uh, that's one level. Okay. Uh, but then the other level was a spiritual level yes. of uh, it's. It's more to do with the spiritual lineage of Abraham. Not, not. It, it, it's like I think Paul points out. In that case, I would agree with you if I can make a proviso. Okay. My proviso is this: that the descendants of Sarah and Abraham are Israel, but there are people who are 
Ishmael, uh, Muslims, other people that are spiritually part of Israel, but not physically descended from. So they too are in the Israel. Grafted so in that's part of proviso, Israel. Yeah. So that's right. So under that proviso, I certainly would There's agree. There's a few Apache in there too. I Comanches and Cherokees and Sioux. I remember Sioux those guys had a spotted horse. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, God is, the redemptive plan of God is, is so great and so wonderful. It, it, it's all in Encompassing, uh, I think Paul grasped that in a way, and I don't know. I, I, I suspect that he was really struggling to how do you present this global, this broad, broad redemptive plan of God to all of humanity, and how do you bring in it to the, into that picture the details of the special revelation that God had, and what He did in a special way to reveal and, Himself, and only to support what we I think we've agreed upon. Yeah, and I only do it in the interest of time. In uh-huh. chapter eleven, uh huh. Let's I go think, to eleven. And I'm going to say in the, in eleven eleven, the translation I'm using, which I'm. I kind of like it. I think it's the most literal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is, uh, it says, I say then, that they not stumble and fall, that they may never be, but uh, their transgression has caused salvation has come to the Gentiles. Okay. Now, so salvation came to the other people. Let's say those are the Ishmaelites, the Esau, the other people. So they, when that salvation, whatever we want to call it, came to them, then they would became part of the concept of the nation of Israel. But that's not referring to the physical descendants of Abraham and Sarah. You follow what I'm trying to say? Yes, I do, I think. I, I, I believe I do. Okay, well, if you do, then you're, we're doing well tonight. <laughs> Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for yeah, themselves. Sure. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world would share when they finally accept it. So there seems to be a, a, a an inherent promise here that Paul sees this uh, he says so this is the situation chapter 11 verse 7 most of the people of Israel have not yet found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly and what I always refer to that is that confident secure relationship with God uh, through faith in him and his redemptive plan. A few have, the ones that God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest are hardened, I always as the scriptures say. Chris, Christians, especially, I've talked to a preacher not too long ago, and I said to him, I said, listen, Israel is not, hold on, it's uh-huh, the whole thing. Okay. I said, Israel's doing exactly what God told them to do. Most of Israel has been told by God, do not believe in Jesus. Let's say Jesus is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Then I'm saying that God, Israel's doing, now I know people are going to say, what? Because that's not that good. Let's say that the entire Christian idea is correct. We'll just say that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And let's say that all Israel accepts it tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. What happens then? Who And I always say, who, is you, who are you trying to keep out of heaven or the Christian concept of heaven? Uh, the Koreans, the Australians, uh-huh. uh, people in Africa. Who are you trying to keep out? Because if all Israel comes in, the case, the door is closed. Nobody else is getting in. So when God says in chapter 11, and I think it's verse uh-huh. 25, he says, they're partially blinded. By who? 
by God. By God himself, so yes. So God is telling the Jews. God has put them into a deep this, sleep, he says. To this day, he has shut their eyes. Jesus yeah, right yeah. Until everybody gets in. Then we want you to come on board. Now, let's say that's correct. Mm-hmm. If that's correct, then right here is the, uh, in chapter 11, it says, God has partially blinded them so that the others can get in. If, if this is correct, then, uh, and for my Jewish sense, I'm saying if, if this is correct, then God himself told the Jews, hold up till everybody else gets in. Then you guys come on board. That's uh, interesting. It very, and, it, and it seems to be somewhat like Paul is saying here. There's, yeah. there's a purpose for the temporary spiritual blindness of the blinders yeah, over there you Israel. Go. There you go. Uh, and, and it's not universal. Uh, like I said, thousands and oh, millions no, of Jewish men and women music? have trusted God. May but, I uh, say uh, my yes, standard go sign for off? It. Okay, I'd like to say always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. And especially to you dads. Happy Father Day. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye-bye. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.